Hey guys, big news. We've got a new discussion group on Facebook. Uh, so now instead of just liking the page and seeing our posts, you guys can post and interact with one another. Um, this is separate from the exclusive private Taco Supremo group. Um, but this is for literally anyone who's a fan of true crime. Invite all your true crime fanatic friends uh, and we can start talking about some more true crime together. Hey, Talkos, have you ever met someone that struck you as fake? Maybe you're at a bar and a girlfriend was infatuated with this guy, but you knew deep down that something was just not right about him. You tell her, Be careful, honey, because something is definitely off with this guy. I don't know what it is, but I'd swipe right if I were you. Now, in most cases, you just find out that he's got a wife or he's got a girlfriend or maybe he lives with his mama still or he's just your average serial killer. You know, something simple. But sometimes you don't see the true side of someone until it's too late. The moral here is to be careful and trust no one. Take the suggestion from the American novelist Alice Hoffman, who once said, Anyone who trusts the serpent must deserve its bite. Well, 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 come back. Yes, and it is a... Very special occasion. Yeah. Because this is the first episode that we're recording since I took my drinking binge and started <laughs> drinking again. <laughs> yes, congratulations, Jen. Thank you, you did it. Thank you, you did it. And also, uh, Nicole and John got married this it's weekend cash. or whatever. It's cash. Although, I, technically, John relinquished you from your the bet on the final eve Two hours prior to when you actually needed to. This is true. However, he only did that after we were standing in line at the bar and I said, I'll have a water. And he said, you're not going to drink anything? I said, no. And he said, Jen, you can have a drink. And I said, no. And he said, come on, Jen. I was like, are you sure? And he said, yeah. And I said, only if you're sure. And he said, yes. So... I don't remember any of that. <laughs> oh, I love fresh lemon. I can't wait to taste this. Is this a lemon drop? It is called Snake in the Grass. Ooh. Because John posted a, it was like a sentence. Um, And so I found a cocktail that had all of our ingredients in the cabinet, including our favorite Nipitati gin. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Nipitati Distillery, for sponsoring our episode once again. Yes. So let's get started with tonight's episode. I think you guys will like it. It is a two-parter, but I'm going to say right now, it's very intense. And I am not planning on doing the part two, the next episode. I'm going to wait, and you'll see why in a little bit. But Because even you couldn't stomach part two No, just it's yet? not that I couldn't stomach. Mm-hmm. This case has a, a lot of moving parts, a lot of characters, a lot of places involved. But we won't make you wait as long as Pee Wee Gaskins, though. Well, maybe. Plus, there's a Netflix documentary coming out about this very case. And it's wow. a case that has that no one has ever heard of, but it is fantastically interesting. But before we get started, a couple news outlets. We got two new Talcos two. Primos. Two. Yes. T-O-O-2. Nope. First is Karen. Welcome, Karen. Welcome. Hey, Karen. Welcome, Karen. I'm sorry that 2020 ruined your name for you. Yeah. Oh, Karen, it kind of had a... Huh? Karen. COVID Karen. Remember Dr. Will the Pooh was talking about COVID Karen with Typhoid Mary? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you listen to that? Um. Yeah, of course. I listen to every episode of Quackery. It's the, aside from our podcast, the funniest. So thank you so much, Karen, uh, California girl. California girls, they're unforgettable. Oh, I was going to go with a Beach Boys song, but... She also sent me some really good stories. So she's <laughs> she was really thinking about starting her own podcast really? about uh, women and domestic abuse issues. Ooh. And I think it's a fantastic idea. Ooh. And I support you 100%. 
And Karen, I've already talked to you about scheduling a call. We're going to do that and we'll get you going. The next Taco Supremo is Jessica. Welcome, Jessica. Jessica is from the same town that my grandparents live in. Wait, don't tell me. Seabrook. Yes. Ah. Seabrook, New New Hampshire. Hampshire. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. New Hampshire. So I I was just talking to um, my sales boss. He's like not really my direct leader, but like whatever. I support him. He said that on Saturday he was watching. He's up in Massachusetts right now. He was watching um, the Phantom Gourmet Mm. and they were doing a special like their the episode or the core restaurant they were covering was Marky's up in Seabrook. But the ironic part is the leader I support who knows Seabrook also very well is a Browns guy. And it's like the two. They're like literally across the street from each other, but my family always went to Marquis. Mm. That kind of sounds like a Ma Rafa's versus Pa Rafa's thing for me. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. know what y'all are talking about. I the best lobster in Seabrook, New Hampshire, and I'm talking about Italian food. And I'm torn because I went to high school with the Ma Rafa's, the family of the Ma Rafa's. The and what? What are you saying? Ma Rafa's. It's the name of the restaurant. Then there's Pa Rafa's and. The north end of New Bedford, where I like, live. That's just, way too similar. Well, it was, I guess, I think, and my apologies if I'm getting this wrong, but they were, it was, it's the same family, but they split at some point. Like a family feud? Something. Ah. Anyway, but I live closer to Power Office, and they have the best meatball subs. Mm. They do. I'm sorry. I, I'm not that sorry. So thank you so much, both Karen and Jessica. You guys are amazing. Also, I want to say thank you guys so much. We've been getting a lot of good reviews on our iTunes, and I usually never do this, but I do want to read one and offer a public apology. I've never done that in my life, but I want to do it tonight. I know it doesn't even sound like me, but just listen to what... What did what did they have to do to get an apology yeah, from you? Wow. <laughs> Okay, this is from Iowa Mom. Now, she gave us a good review. I shouldn't say I need to apologize. It's more of a redaction for a mistake I made on the Brittany Murphy episode. Oh. I believe apology is warranted in this case. And it is a positive review from Iowa Mom. Just listening to your Brittany Murphy podcast, please know before talking about things like diabetes You give insulin when a blood sugar is high. If her blood sugar was 49, she needed to have sugar. Otherwise, I love your podcast. But as a mother of a diabetic child, information like this perpetuates a cycle of misinformation about this disease. And so you are 100% correct. I do want to redact when I said her sugar was low and why didn't they give her insulin now that I think about it that doesn't even make any sense so thank you so much for your positive review and thank you so much for kicking me in the ass and and, and making me get my facts straight I never knew that either actually I thought yeah you did the opposite I thought you give insulin when your blood sugar is low no apparently not apparently it's the other way so <laughs> thank you so much Iowa mom I know we got a lot of Supremos and a lot of tacos in Iowa and yeah we do yeah. I uh, I can't wait to come up there and do a live show. And again, thank you so much for reaching out. One more thing real quick. I got to do this. If you haven't subscribed to The Missing with Savannah Robbins yet, you need to. It's our sister true crime podcast. She does missing persons cases and she's killing it. Anyway, the episode she put out on Monday was a fantastic episode of a family that went to Ibiza and lost their son Hmm. and go listen to it because you have not heard of that episode on any other podcasts. I promise. And of course, like always quackery with Dr. Will the pill and his crazy antics. Mm -hmm. We talked about wizard oil this week. I know you wizard oil. Well, you got to go listen to quackery podcast. I hope there's a lot of Harry Potter references in there. (laughs) I just automatically thought about the car wash. Yeah, so Dr. Will Appeal, good job with that episode. And that's all the news I got. Sorry for just, you know, blabbing on. So, John, what was technically the hint for tonight's episode? Because that's the inspiration for both the cocktail and the shooter that I made. Okay, so on that uh, discussion group, I put 
This is a crazy, unbelievable, trust me, you haven't heard it anywhere episode this week. It deals with the only serial killer in history still alive to charge 10000 or more dollars for a 10-minute or less interview with the media. Just huh. be thankful that you've never crossed this snake's path or found yourself seduced into his madness. Like American novelist Alice Hoffman once said, quote, anyone who trusts the serpent deserves its bite. Ooh. Interesting. So the person can is able to charge $10,000 for a 10-minute interview. I guess you can't do that if you're in prison. A serial killer is charging that. What do you do with the money? Who says he's locked up? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't think he's locked up. That's what I'm saying. This case is fantastic. It's crazy. And it's it's so big that I don't want to just rush a two-parter episode. I want it to dissolve in my head for a while and really map out the second part. Surprise shots, surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. Why did that sound so sad? (laughs) It's deflated. (laughs) Cheers. Oh, it feels so good to drink. Ah! Yeah, because John, you you didn't drink with, with me either. I know, I didn't. As well. I haven't really been drinking. And you know, I've been losing weight, but fuck it, man. Let's drink. And then we'll go to IHOP. No. <laughs> um, all right. So there was definitely some Jack honey in there. Mm-hmm. Um, lemon juice. Close. Lime juice. Correct. And that's it. That's it. It's called the snake bite. I was I was going to ask you if you made snake bites. It was the snake bite. It tastes like venom. I just love that Jack honey, though. It's good. I did not like it with the lime. I don't think that that's a good mix. <laughs> It's supposed to be really good with lemonade. Tonight, we are starting this episode out with a quote from the Bible. I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now, you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now, water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> wow, dude. Uh, you never heard that before? No. I, I just like the the look. The, he had crazy eyes, He's bro. Intense. Like Bruce Lee was so intense. He's fucking amazing. That's who he was. Like he made me believe that Is quote. He yeah, he died. <laughs> yeah, he's dead. Him and his son, Brandon. Yep. What happened? Tragic accident for Brandon and the movie set. All right, we're going to July 5th, 1976. We're going to the Vikram Hotel in Delhi. The city's called Agra, like agriculture, A-G-R-A. So you're looking at the place we're going to tonight. Like I said, we're going to 1976, July 5th. A tour bus of 70 Frenchmen, wee, 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 wee. 70 French travelers are all students. They pack the hotel lobby right there in the Vikram Hotel in Delhi. They're on a field trip. They're all students, postdoc. They're engineering students, very smart. They're all from France. Whoa, my grad school didn't have field trips. I want a refund. Now, they're actually on their way out of India. They spent a few days there in India. They saw the Taj Mahal. Not the one in Vegas, but the actual one. I would like to see that someday. The one in Vegas? No. Taj Mahal? Is it Trump's? Yeah. So you got 70 smelly Frenchmen all eating pizza and bread in the downtown hotel lobby. Not pizza. Try baguettes. (laughs) Baguettes. Baguettes Baguettes are bread. You said bread. Baguettes and brie. How about that? But but they're in (laughs) India, so wouldn't they be eating Indian food? Like chicken, chicken tiki masala or curry? Now, among these 70 students, there was one guy in the group. Now, he wasn't a student himself. He was almost like a local. Everyone thought he was a local, but 
He spoke perfect French, which is good if you're in India and all you speak is French and maybe English. That's interesting. And you want to get around. So this guy shows up like a savior and he introduces himself a few days before and he actually shows them the best restaurants, the best place to buy gems, you know, gems, J-E-M. Oh, gems. Yeah. Yeah. Gem, G-E-M. G-E-M. Gemstones. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the best places to get coffee, all that stuff. His name was Daniel Chaumet. C-H-A-U-M-E-T, Daniel Chaumet. Mm-hmm. But completely forget that name because that's not his real name. That's his okay. alias for today. Okay. In fact, he's got like 30 aliases. Now, one student recalled, quote, seeing the Taj Mahal and meeting Daniel Chaumet are the two best things that have happened so far. So he was a big help to these guys. There's 70 of them and they can't get around... They're in India. They're going to see the Taj Mahal. They're getting hustled by the locals in the bazaar with the prices and everything else. They don't know where the best restaurant's at, stuff like that. And this guy shows up like a boss, speaks perfect French, and offers himself as a free tour guide. He doesn't have to do that. Awfully generous. Now, with this guy was... Three beautiful girlfriends. Girlfriends, yes. At least two of them are girlfriends. Having coitus, um, p- penile okay. in the vagina. <laughs> but just in case With, you... But are, are they Indian or are they Vietnamese? No, they're actually Americans. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. The what? T- yeah, they're, the, this story is really weird. <laughs> this story is great. And so we're learning that. This guy, Daniel Chaumet, was also a gym expert. A lot of the French postdocs and students, they would go to the bazaar and want to buy something for their honeys back home. So he gets them the best prices for everything. That's kind of like in Gatlinburg, how you can get your own gems. You can mine for them. I have some in the back of my car. They're leaving at 2 a.m. the next day. So right now, it's like 3 p.m., And they have a dinner scheduled at 5 p.m. It's called the, quote, Farewell Cocktail and Traditional Indian Dinner. It's a huge dinner. Remember, there's 70 students. They're all in the lobby of this hotel. And it's put on by the manager and the culinary director of the hotel. So they're all scheduled to go there. And even Daniel Chaumet is invited to join the group. Now, before the dinner was served, Daniel Chaumet, the gym expert, calls over the food organizer and asks if he's heard about the severe outbreak of dysentery that's going around right now. And he says he hasn't, but the students have been very cautious about dysentery. And in fact, Daniel has been preaching to them for some hours about dysentery and how you get it. You basically don't eat raw vegetables. You don't drink the water. I actually had that shit in Afghanistan. It's fucking awful. For some reason, I decided to eat yogurt. And they remember, in an Afghan village with no electricity, they don't have freaking refrigerators. That yogurt was straight out the cow. How long? Like, tell me about your dysentery experience. Yeah, what was that like? Did you lose a bunch of weight? How do you catch it? Yeah, it looked good. I got like a six pack from that. But you were also like in the army, so weren't you like already in shape? How do you contract dysentery? I ate yogurt. How does one who is looking to lose weight <laughs> contract dysentery in the United we'll, States? We'll should cover this in yeah. the next quackery episode. You take that thing of yogurt and you leave it on the kitchen counter for a week and then you eat it. That's kind of like how yesterday. <laughs> Don't do that because then you could also die. From- yeah, but you look fucking great, Jen. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I, you almost had me on the tapeworms. You, you know? look great on that in that casket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh so I, who was i talking about the, with this i don't remember who i was talking to the other day about how my funeral needs to be a party and like I'll, it'll be a casket and i'll be you know you need to have take a shot but like i also want people to be sad and then out of nowhere you'll realize that it's actually just a wax figure in the casket and i'll come out and like have drinks and be like oh god hey guys and they'll be like you faked your own death we're mad at you and i'm like this is a bad idea don't say that. I mean, I know you guys would be False. upset. Well, I know you would be you upset. Thousands Nicole. of fans. Oh, 
You have thousands of fans. You can't say that. Uh, anyway, so no, I'm not faking my own death, but I do need to get out of some debt. All right, read this, Nicole. This is from the book we're reading tonight called Serpentine. It's from Thomas Thompson. Yes, that's his real name. And I'm going to tell you more about that book in a little bit. Who decides to name their kids like that? Mm. Like, I don't think I would ever do that well, to my child. apparently the Thompsons did. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying, like, like, I just like. Are you thinking of your kid when you name them? They think they're fucking hilarious. I think. I think the parents like <laughs> suck on that because like all your I have, goddamn life. I have a hard time thinking about what I'm gonna name my non-existent dog that I don't have when I get a dog eventually in my life. So the director says, no, the students are fine. They they know not to eat raw vegetables. They know not to eat raw meat. They know to wash their hands and they know not to drink the water. So this is from the book. That's not safe enough, Warren Chamay. He presented himself as a veteran of Eastern travel whose experience had taught that simple precautions were not sufficient to defeat the legions of bugs waiting to invade French stomachs. He asked Rabad if there were objections to offering medication to his friends that was guaranteed to forestall intestinal agonies. Chamay was carrying a black bag, and from it, he produced a handful of tablets and capsules. Picture this. 70 French students, engineering students, very smart people. Downtown lobby, they're all getting ready for dinner. And this guy, who has known him for a few days now, and they trust is warning them about dysentery after they've been eating the Indian food for at least two days, if not more. Now he's all like, fuck, y'all gonna get dysentery. Mm -hmm. So he pulls out this bag of pills. At least 20 of these students take him up on the offer and take the pills. Now, the pills are not to protect you from dysentery. Is actually strychnine pills. So it's going to make you die. Vomit. It's, it's strychnine poison? Yeah, it's poison. It's going to make you vomit, go unconscious, and then eventually die. Okay, if you don't get your stomach pumped. He gives it to him before the dinner. Now, this isn't the first time he's done this, but picture it. 70 people are at a dinner. This hotel room is filled up big table, all these students, and then Daniel sitting there and he's getting worried because they're eating and like French people, they eat slow. Yeah, they know? do. Bring me the five course meal, the cheese and the wine, whatever, the wine. So he knows about how long it takes for these strychnine pills to kick in. And he's getting worried. Everybody ought to get some sleep, he said, trying to steer the intended victims toward the elevator. It's early, answered one of the students. The night has just begun. A few moments of agonizing suspense <laughs> crept by, and then a woman screamed. Beside her, a student had pitched forward into his wine glass. Another suddenly slumped in his chair, sliding out and onto the floor like a blob of gelatin. Ooh. People began to vomit. For a... F for a stunning few seconds, no one grasped what was happening. Bodies fell. A man grabbed the tablecloth as he lost consciousness. Plates crashed around him. They're all dying! Cried someone. Get the manager! Cried someone else. <laughs> okay. You know what I thought of? I, I have thought Sebastian of... Sebastian from Little Mermaid? No, I thought of Flubber. Okay, picture this. There's 70 Frenchmen sitting at the table. And all of a sudden, at least 20 of them start violently vomiting and hacking up all over the thing. I mean, you saw that one. This one French student falls into his wine glass. It's complete chaos. No one knows what's going on. Everyone thinks the food had poison in it. Maybe food poisoning, something was raw or whatever. The wife of the food director falls to her knees to try to help the people that are sick to stop spazzing and seizing on the floor. She screams, poisons, assassins. So she's thinking someone poisoned them. And well, they're right. One victim actually crawls towards the hotel manager, 
like a zombie from Resident Evil and bites him in the leg. Oh my god! She was foaming at the mouth. <laughs> Holy! About three or four male students realize that the ones that are rolling around foaming at the mouth, biting people in the leg, are the ones that took the pills from old Daniel Chalmay. Did he slink out of the room unnoticed? They actually chased him around the lobby. So this is they knew he gave him all those yeah. same people pills. So he's trying to get everyone up in the room before this happened. He's trying to rush everyone. Oh, it's time to go to bed. I know you guys. Time to go nice. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys like to drink. I get it. And now he's running through the lobby. Now, this is around 730 at night. So it must have been late. a sight to see. Yeah. This is a huge hotel. So he's running around the lobby. These students are chasing them, the male students, and he actually knows karate, which we'll get into, huh. like karate, like Bruce Lee karate, and he starts punching and kicking these students, oh my gosh. doing flying sidekicks and everything, and literally kicking like three or four of them down. Can I ask a question here? What? Um, so when he was giving out the pills... And now I granted he was probably offering them up to everybody. So it was a little bit less suspicious. But was he targeting males versus females? No, because once you take that pill, it doesn't matter what you are. You're going to be out. I know. But was he like really was he trying to have a particular type of victim? Anyone that would take him. Hmm. His M.O., which we'll get to later with these pills, is to get you unconscious even if you die or not, who cares? A lot of the victims did die. Not from this particular story. Right. But once you're passed out, then he steals all your shit. Your passports, which he'll use to travel to God knows how many countries that he's killed people in. If you got any jewelry, any money, whatever, he steals it all. Hmm. That's his MO That's with nice. the pills. Okay. So they're chasing around the lobby and he's flying sidekick. You know, Bruce Lee, Chung Lee, whatever, bicycle kicks, like in Mortal Kombat, literally just, and he's subduing all these guys. The bird pose from the karate kid. He finally sprints towards the exit and he's about to make his way out when three of the male students all jump at the same time and grab him by the legs and force him on the ground. Now you'll see this guy, he's not a big guy. This karate guy. But he is the water. But he is the water <laughs> in the glass. Question. Do you, where did the term sidekick come from? Is it because like your buddy would like kick people on the side of you? Hmm. I don't know. That's or is it because they kick it with you on your side? I don't know. When the police get to the hotel, this guy is tied up to the chair and he's screaming. This is a mistake. Let me go. I'm a French millionaire, businessman. I'm a sue everyone type of shit. Uh-huh. Yeah, because being a billionaire makes you obviously not a criminal. None of the students that night died because they started showing the symptoms at the dinner table. If they would have made it to their room, they would have been dead. And gone to sleep, yeah. Yeah, and he would have had 20 victims that night alone. They all had their stomach pumps and they were fine. Who the shit is this guy? Because his name certainly ain't Daniel Chalmay. <laughs> Once the police get him to the station, it takes days for them to figure out who this guy is. And when they find out who he is, they realize that they just caught an international criminal that was on the hmm. top list of Interpol. Whoa! And has killed upwards of 50 to 100 people Across many different countries, across Europe and Asia, completely. They know that he's at least killed 12, but that's the bodies they found. You can't really tell how many this guy's killed. But it takes two days for him to figure out who this guy is. Daniel Chalmay was purple with anger. This is a terrible mistake. He snapped when Thule introduced himself. His voice was broken English and heavily accented with French. It was difficult to understand him. One of the tourists was summoned to be the translator. I demand that you release me immediately, insisted Chamay. Or else you will face severe consequences. 
I am a French citizen. I am a prominent businessman. And my embassy will not think well of this. I will fight damages, suits against this hotel and the New Zealand police. He was in this prison for a few days and he was sticking to his story. He's a French millionaire. He's a, a gym dealer millionaire businessman he's talking about how he provides jobs and everything and he's talking about how he's going to bring his wrath as a millionaire businessman upon these police if they don't let him go right now at one point the policeman inspector Tooley, that's his name brought him a cup of soup you know to eat because he hasn't eaten yet and he slings it on the floor he says wee wee you better bring me something from a five-star restaurant. That's all I can eat. I can't eat this stuff. Blah. I'd totally do the same. <laughs> <laughs> some of them had vomited. Some of them had stomach ulcers about it. Some of them had to be hospitalized. The others were in a very bad shape. He was dressed very, you know, nicely, wearing a very costly suit, a nice tie, a nice... Uh, cotton shirt. Okay, so finally they figure out who he is because he had those accomplices with him, you know, those three hot girls. Oh, that's right. I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, so they actually find them and they get the truth. And right when they do, it doesn't matter because Interpol sends them a cable saying, hey, do you have this guy? So are, is he always traveling with these three females and like, and that's how they... Were able to really identify him? Yes. And in this episode, part one, I'm not bringing his accomplices in this. Those were his girlfriends. We'll talk about them next time. And they did help in the murders and killings, even though a lot of times they didn't know that the that he was killing all these people. But they would flirt with the tourists and kind of butter him up a bit. What they think was happening. Were they, in, was it like a little like sex cult or? Yeah, it was they... basically a little cult. So Interpol finally sends him a cable and they find out his true identity. And I'm pronouncing his name for Savannah because she thinks I can't pronounce it right. So I'm going to try it. Hachin Buwani Gurmok Shabraj. But everyone just calls him Charles Sabraj, which we're going to talk about. You also may know him as the Bikini Killer, which is oh. quite misleading, which is why I didn't make that the hint. The Splitting Killer and the Serpent. Because of the whole, like, Snake Charmer thing? The reason this story is really difficult to present is because of all the identities he had and the different characters he portrayed and the different locations he's killed. Do you remember that documentary with that guy? He was, I can't remember from which country, but he pretended to be a lost American boy. The imposter. Oh, yes. The imposter. I, that, this story reminded me of that when you said he had a whole bunch of monikers. Mm. So keep spoke different that languages. in mind, because this guy is a master disguiser. He's a master of disguise. I'm going to be a master he of disguise. He could literally pass as anybody. That's why they called him the serpent. Am I too turtly for the turtle club? All right. The book we're reading tonight is Serpentine by Thomas Thompson. He interviewed hundreds of people for the book. He was a journalist. Now, I want to say before we go any further, there are four books written about Charles Sabraj, the French serial killer four books that's a lot and for some fucking reason i decided to read the one that's 600 pages <laughs> so he is french he is actually half vietnamese but he likes to claim himself as french but he knows seven different languages mm -hmm. and he can speak fluently and he knows the culture of of many different countries he's like a chameleon all right so how i'm structuring this story is like this. We talked about the hotel, which I thought would be a good start to the craziness mm -hmm. of this story because it is very crazy. And now I'm going to talk about the first murder that we know of 
which is probably not the first, but the one that actually gave him the moniker, the Bikini Killer. In fact, that moniker is ridiculous because out of all the people he's killed, only one of the bodies were found wearing a bikini. And for some reason, he got the name Bikini Killer. Hmm. So it makes it sound like he's only killing girls in bikinis. And that is quite misleading. She was just wearing a bikini when they found her. The uh, journalist that actually came up with that moniker admitted that that was a dumb moniker. Okay, we're also going to talk about his childhood a little bit. I can't go into all of it because it's too long to go into. And then I'm going to talk about the hippie trail, which is what the Beatles Oh, and, yeah, they all went to India for their enlightenment. Yeah, so that was them. They all went down to the hippie trail, and that's who he was killing. He was killing people on the hippie wow. trail. Yeah, so, and then we're going to talk about one more murder, and then I'm going to stop it there. I'll do the next part sometime in the future. But like I said, this is a big story, and I wanted to record tonight. It's just a lot of information. So I want to do this first part to kind of clean it up a little bit. And then the second part, kind of refocus and reorganize my my uh, research and then hit the second part in the future. The girl you're looking at now, go to talkmore.com, is Teresa Knowlton. That's her real name. But in the book Serpentine, he actually uses an alias and her name in the book is Jenny Bolivar. But her real name is Teresa Knowlton. Now, her dream as a teenager is like everyone else's dream in the seventies is to become a Buddhist nun and find enlightenment and Nirvana and sublime and basically do a lot of LSD and listen to the Beatles. Yeah. That is what they were doing back then. In fact, 99% of these victims are hippies. Okay. They're dirty, smelly hippies. This is a little bit about her and her transformation into the hippie world. This is from one of her friends. I couldn't believe my eyes, she said. This wild little girl went off to Seattle and then to this earth mother came back home to the beach. Jenny was into ecology and earth shoes, and she didn't shave her legs or her underarms, and her hair was uncut and unstyled, and she spoke of all the starving people in the world and how our society dumps on senior citizens. I sat there and watched this strange girl bend her body into a pretzel into weird yoga positions, and I realized I didn't know her anymore. She told me that everything we had done together was a waste of time. How can you cancel out your youth? He talked about an American girl, very nice party with her, talking about very freely about sex and so on. Her name was Teresa. Okay, that was from an acquaintance of Charles Sabraj. She actually lived the house with him for a long time mm. and oh, she's is this one of the girls? no that wasn't one of the accomplices oh. that was one of the tenants which we'll get to in a little okay. bit from when he was leasing out some space so Teresa starts to travel she goes first to goa which is a former portuguese settlement that the beatles and mia farrow went to meditate at for some reason and there's hundreds and hundreds of hippies dancing this is the spring of 1975 She's also going on meditation retreats and everything else. So she's very hippie. You guys can see that. Mm-hmm. On October 5th, 1975, Charles Sabraj meets Miss Jenny from California. Now, they're in Bangkok at the time. So she's doing the hippie trail. They strike up a conversation. And oh, my God, this guy is so perfect. He's the best. For real? He is he is a dreamer. Okay. Go to talkmore.com. I'm showing you young pictures of this Charles Sabraj, and you try not to get turned on. Whoa, he's ripped. Yeah, he is uh his physique is amazing. Am I looking at abs through his shirt? Yes, you are. Yeah, Yeah, and yeah, and you would probably fall for him too. So I guess he's kind of like a half Asian <laughs> Clark Kent. <laughs> the more you look at him, uh, yeah. You would fall for that guy. He's pretty beefy. Yeah, but look, he's got that whole like he also Italian like, kind of mysticism, kind of sex appeal, doesn't he? Yeah, he uh, looks better there in his face too. Like he looks, he looks a little bit more European in that photo. So he meets Jenny from California there in Bangkok, and he takes her to Pat Pong. 
He takes her to Pat Pong, which is in Bangkok. It's like the red light district. He actually goes to a strip club. And in the book, it goes through this whole thing. And we can read it if you want. But it's a Thai club. And there's this stripper. And she's getting banged on stage by this dude that's like really ripped. And he's like banging her on stage. And then they go to each table and, you know, he continues to bang across the dinner tables, not Charles Sabraj, just a random guy. And then the lights go out and then they come back on and there's this basket on stage. And then this girl opens the basket and she's naked and there's a cobra in it. And then they charm the cobra this is a real thing. I'm not making this shit up. I'm not I, making like, this up. Uh, we're not commenting because Jen and my like mouths are just hanging over. Like, what the fuck is? It's like now? a whole thing. I'm, I'm like just, trying to follow. I'm like summarizing it for you. If you, if you want to read it, we can. It's like really crazy. No, anyway, go on. Go the, on. The, the snake is charmed, and then um, a No, no, no. She uh, gets really real. close to it. It's a cobra, and then they bring a chicken out, and the snake bites the chicken to show the audience that it was venomous and it wasn't defanged or anything else, and the the chicken dies. And then they all clap because she didn't get bit. So she was hypnotizing the snake with those little nipple um, glitter things. Tassels. Pasties. (laughs) Pasties. They were all glittery, so it was hypnotizing the snake. Uh-huh. This I am not making this up, I swear to God. I, do you want to read it? No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> wow. Fuck, let me get it. At this club, a young Thai man with a perfectly sculptured body appeared and shucked his trousers to stand completely nude before the audience. <laughs> Already he was sexually aroused when a young Thai girl of exquisite beauty floated toward him in a diaphanous wrap. He tore it from her body and began the act of love. The couple performed public sex on a makeshift stage for more than a half an hour. Oh my <laughs> gosh, wow, look at that stamina. I know, dude. <laughs> he must be taking the uh, penis pills I used to sell. <laughs> um, oh my gosh I think at that point I would probably be like please make it stop yeah, like, <laughs> like I'm done yeah. the man disengaging from time to time to demonstrate that his erection was genuine and enduring <laughs> and as a finale he lifted the girl facing him her legs wrapped around his waist and carried her down to the audience I told you I wasn't making this up there he stopped at each <laughs> table and bent his partner backwards that she reclined among customers drink glasses she invited each patron to stroke her breasts or examine as close up as desired the penile thrusts of the young man (laughs) in her mouth she carried bills of currency placed there by approving customers then the lights went out and the presumption was that the show it's like exactly how i explained it (laughs) cobra rose obediently from the container as gas swept over the room. <laughs> hey, caramba. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay, I put in my notes, um, <laughs> Thai club with a cobra and chick, and then I put in parentheses, it's like a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which tells me to explain it to oh. you. <laughs> so- <laughs> you have like... Do you have codes that you use every episode so you know like uh, how much to divulge about different No, not really. I'm not that sophisticated. All right, the next morning after this whole cobra fiasco on the Gulf Fiasco, of- nobody died. <laughs> on, the Gulf, on the Gulf of Thailand, an old man who's an egg seller was riding his bicycle on a remote beach near Pattaya. Lying on a back in a shallow water and wearing a bikini was guess who? Sabraj. No, what? Jenny. Fucking Sabraj wearing a bikini? You never know. Maybe that's why he was called the bikini killer. Because he enjoyed wearing bikinis. Kind of like Colonel Russell Williams. What's her? This is the picture right here. Jenny. See her in her bikini. This is Jenny from the block. Don't be the fool by the rocks that I got. So she's wearing a bikini. She's laying face up in shallow water. And in fact, the guy riding the bike, the old man, 
thought it was just someone sunbathing, some Westerner. Mm. But then he came back around and noticed that she was still laying in the exact same spot, her eyes staring open into the sky, and she was dead. Mm. And that is how he got his name, the Bikini Killer. The old egg seller got off his bicycle and timidly approached the girl. When he was but a few feet away, he recognized what had happened and began to shake it as he cried out for help. Before him, almost covered now by the sea, was a young woman lying gracefully on her back, her face composed, her arms outstretched like a crucifix. Bits of shells gleaming pink and pearl dotted her body. She was dead. All right, so this was about 100 miles south of Bangkok. And Charles Sabraj would later say about this murder, quote, I killed her because she was transporting drugs, end quote. Oh, so he's trying to justify it. I'm pretty sure he actually had the wrong victim on that because he just met her the night before. He's killed so many people, he can't even keep them straight. <laughs> now, let me talk a little bit about Charles Sabraj's background. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. Okay, so you guys try to pay attention. Like I said, I don't want to draw this episode out too long. There's so much craziness that I'm not even going to get to in this episode. Part two is where the craziness hits. But I want to give you an overview with this episode. Born April 6th, 1944 in Vietnam. His real name is Hachin Gurmok Sabraj. And I probably pronounced that correctly. So there you go. He was born to a Vietnamese shop girl named Tran Long Fun. Fun being P-H-U-N, which also I probably pronounced that correctly as well. And a mm-hmm. tailor that the book refers to only as Sobraj the Tailor. Tailor like a suit tailor. This is from the book The Serpentine. He bespoke danger, but it became wrapped but it became wrapped in couturier jackets and very tight pants. He held appeal for most women, particularly those who shuddered at yet secretly cherished the element of risk. Now, Charles Sabraj was born out of hatred. The husband, the Vietnamese shop girl, and the tailor, they hated each other and regretted ever getting pregnant. The father was such a great guy that he would not admit paternity or accept any responsibility for Charles's upbringing. The boy was known only as Germuk. <laughs> Germuk. <laughs> Gurmuk, G-U-R-M-U-K-H. Now, this is going to be very important. His father said, that's not my child, even though it was. So Charles Sabraj is not going to be recognized as a citizen of any country until he's well in his teenage years. He's not going to have a birth certificate. He's not going to have citizenship. At all. He's not recognized by any government. Hmm. He is basically an outlier. I don't really get why, though, just because his dad won't say it's his. What about his mom? I I guess they do things differently there in Vietnam. I guess you have to have two parents Hmm. to both claim responsibility. He actually won't gain an identity until his teenage years, which may be... The reason why he's so good at being every other identity. He was a problem child. He had a unhealthy dependency on his mother. Okay. When she would leave and eventually her and her husband broke up and she had to start stripping. Bow with your bow wow with the cobras and stuff to bring in some money. When she would leave at night to go strip he would clatch onto her legs and like, you know, like she's dragging him out. She's like, I got to go. And he's like, no, 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 don't leave. Sad. She would leave for a few hours, come back. The house would be completely torn up. Her dresses would be cut up. Oh, wow. He would. He would act comple- out. He would act out. Yeah. She eventually gets remarried, which was good for the family. He was a French lieutenant. You remember, this is when. This is when it was colonies. So Alphonse Durer, he was a French lieutenant. And Charles hated him. And the only reason why is because that's not my real daddy. 
you know. Around this time, he would start to dream about his father, and he became obsessed with going back to live with him. He had this image of his father that was completely skewed. He thought his father would come rescue him from this, you know, terrible life. Because now he's in France. Mm-hmm. When once he married this French soldier, they moved back to France, and his father's in Saigon working at the tailor shop that he owns. So at this time, he's getting this obsession with being close to his father, even though the father didn't give a fuck about him at all. He's already got more kids with some other woman. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't care about this kid. He never did. But for some reason, he wanted to be next to his father at all time. And this is where he started getting in trouble for the first time because he started sneaking on these ships you know, you can't travel. You don't have citizenship everywhere. You don't have a passport or anything. He started basically stowing away on these transport ships and getting caught and ended up in jail, stuff like that. And no one would take him, you know, because no one wanted to claim responsibility and they couldn't keep him because he ain't got papers. It was just a whole mess. Gurmuk chattered incessantly about his real father, conjuring fantasies that the tailor would one day swoop into the house and rescue him. From a foreign stepfather, the truth was something else. So Braj and the tailor never even called Song to inquire about the boy. He seemed less interested in him than the price of sewing machine bobbins. Charles became obsessed with going back to live with his father. He started jumping on all these stowaway ships, getting in a lot of trouble at a very early age because he would always get caught. He would stow away on one of these ships and go to his father's sewing shop and hide behind the walls and watch his father for days, not eating or anything. He would just stare at his dad. It was really weird. This is what Charles tells a friend later in years. I look back and I can't explain it, he said. My stepfather was a kind man who was good to me, even after his injury, but I did not want him. All I wanted was to be my real father, my own flesh. I felt an emptiness without him, something I had missed. Even when my mother would find me after I had run away and tied me up with ropes, I didn't mind her prison, for I felt I was suffering on behalf of my father. On the day that we were supposed to leave for France, I was confused. I had not slept the night before. I kept telling myself that when the morning came, I would run away and hide until the boat left. But just before dawn, I dozed off, and I was in a half-sleep that my mother took me away from my country and my father. I never really forgave her. So eventually he runs away to Saigon and doesn't get caught. And this is crazy. He actually lives on the street. Now, he's 10 years old at the time. So from 10 to 13, he is living on the street. And not only that, but guess what he's doing? Coke. Prostituting. What? (laughs) (laughs) Playing hopscotch. Yes. Have you? What's that movie where the kids kind of rule? Um. Oh, Lord of the Flies? No, not that. It's more of a in the cities. It's called... um Newsies? No, where the, the gangs... Gangs of New York? No, the kids' gangs. I can't remember what it's called. Sandlot? The child was eventually discovered living in the ruins of a building bombed by Viet Minh. He was the leader of a pack of Dickensanian urchins who lived by their wits, hustling tourists and foreign soldiers stealing food to eat and to sell. They all carried gleaming knives and none was over 12. Mm. He was the leader of the gang, the leader of this childhood gang, and they would hustle and rob. And that's pretty impressive. Are you thinking about the Lost Boys and Peter Pan? Um, (laughs) Are you thinking about Annie? Not the Lost Boys. It's this... These young, they're teenagers, they run these gangs, and there's like no adults, and they're in the city. They're, they're always battling each other. Ah! It's called The Warriors. I've never heard of that movie. 1979. It's a good movie. Oh. It's a really good movie. Sorry, that was before my time. Uh, yeah. 
That's around the time when yeah. this was going on. Yeah, it's yeah. a good movie. Charles was brought back to France and he did become the parental responsibility of the mother and stepfather on January 10th, 1953. But even then, he still didn't have an identity. He still didn't belong to any country. That's the thing. He didn't belong to anywhere. He just had parental responsibility. He also liked to entertain all these kids. You know, he's a leader. He liked to dress up as a clown, which is my favorite. He would take charcoal and make fake mustaches and dance around and, you know, with his trash cans banging around, making a big hoopla, hoopla, hoopla. And the kids actually screamed, Charlotte, Charlotte, Charlotte. Like, that's what they would call him, Charlotte. And he liked that so much that he that when he finally gained citizenship, he needed a name and he didn't want to go by Germuk. So he went by Charles. And that's how he got the name Charles, because it came from the name Charlotte. Hmm. Interesting. Just kind of like Charleston is is named after King Charles. Mm -hmm. He was extremely smart, although he never, although he never applied himself. He was a bedwetter, a pathological liar, and a thief. He was in and out of prison, and during this time, he learned karate. And he started reading two authors that play a big role. A big role in his psychology. One's a famous psychologist and the other one's a famous philosopher. He read Frederick Nietzsche and Carl Jung. And he was a student of Freud. He liked to break people down into personality types so he can exploit them. That's going to become very important because, because as he switches identities constantly and he finds new people to rob and to take advantage of, he needs to be able to relate and interact with whoever he is in contact with. Okay, so he is also called the Hippie Trail Killer. But it, where is the hippie? I thought the Hippie Trail was, well, I didn't really know that that was what it was called, but I just imagined it was like India. But was it really all the Southeast Asia too? The Hippie Trail is the name given to an overland journey taken by taken by members of the hippie subculture and others from the mid-1950s to the late 1970s between Europe and South Asia, mainly through Iran, Afghanistan, India, and Nepal. All those countries he's killed women at, and half of those countries I've named he's escaped from prison at, and sometimes the escapes are miraculous. This is from Timeline.com talking about the hippie trail of the 1970s. Drugs, danger, and a magical pudding shop in Asia. You may not reach enlightenment, but you'll see some crazy stuff trying. This is from Megan Day. Where do I get some magical pudding? The hippie trail reached its zenith in the early and mid-1970s after two decades of growing Western counterculture interest in nomadicism and Eastern spirituality, exotic lands and cheap hash talks about. Yeah. So that is the hippie trail. I ran Asia. So through Asia, I ran even Afghanistan, India, Bombay, all those places. They travel Nepal and they would have sex with each other and they would not shower. So let's talk about uh, two victims of the hippie type tonight. Cornelia Hemker and her Dutch fiance, Henricus Bientaja. Go talk com to see their photos right there. They were actually traveling to Bangkok. Yeah. You've been loving to say that word every time, every opportunity to say the word Bangkok. You're like, yes. And they were staying at the Malaysia Hotel. And that's where they met Charles Sabraj, who gave him the dysentery pills, drugged him, and then offered to take him to the hospital. I I just find it really interesting that he doesn't seem to have any sort of type or like the bikini victim. There was no sexual assault. He's just purely just it's like purely, wants to drop yeah. the bodies. No, no, it's it's profit motivated. That's a good point. Charles Sabraj, and you'll hear this a lot if you read the book and anything else he is 100 percent psycho psych psychopath well, i sure hope so <laughs> like uh, like you're about to read about. something where you you'll see what i'm talking about but he was killing for his own personal gain 
He wasn't killing to have sex or rape or anything else. He was killing to steal passports. Number one, passports so he can travel to different countries and keep up these scams because he was doing a lot of scams. And and I'll get to that on the next uh, part, too. But he had a lot of scams going. So he would need to constantly be moving around different countries to keep them going because, you know, there's only so many bad checks you can cash or cars you can steal before they start getting to you. You know what I'm saying? Mm hmm. So he would actually use these passports and on one time that we know of, and probably even more, he actually traveled under a female passport. Ow. <laughs> because they don't, they didn't look, they didn't care. Fuck, I don't know. They just lackluster about security, you they, know, back they then. Ha- they didn't have, like, the Department yeah. of Homeland Security was not even a thing. And plus this, and plus a lot of this story, including a lot of his jailbreaks, or the fact that he was actually pretty, I wouldn't say wealthy, but he was getting rich. If it was now, I would say he probably had like 250 grand in the bank. Hmm. If it was during this time period now, that's probably how rich he was at any given time because he was stealing cars, selling them for parts. He was doing all kinds of scams, stealing jewelry, pawning them. I mean, he was doing everything, everything you think of. Like he was, ro- I mean, robbing jewelry stores, like the gamut, like everything. So he had money. So he would bribe a lot of the law enforcement off. If you want to read this, this is what eventually happened to the Dutch couple when, after they met Mr. Sobraj. Now, before you read this, he did have a, a male accomplice at the time, which about six months later, he snuffed out. But you'll see his name here. His name is Chaudhary. When Mr. Batanja became conscious, Chaudhary choked him. Then they doused the couple in petrol and threw a match. When they were found, Mrs. Hemker's eyes were wide open like she'd seen the match. That's fucked up. Wow. That's one of the things that makes this guy kind of a psychopath because he didn't choke him out and get him unconscious and then kill him. He would literally just... Yeah, the bikini Light girl was fire. Her eyes were open too. <laughs> and on part two, I'm gonna get way more into the killings, but I did want to run through a few right quick. Connie Ann of California and a French Canadian, Karine Laurent, a 30 year old, were found buried to death on a hillside in Nepal. Stephanie Pari, 24, a French national living in Spain. Her strangled body was found near a stream near Pattaya, the beach. So did he later confess to all these murders? That's a really good question. He never confessed to anything. He would say stuff like, if I killed them kind of stuff, you know, kind of like OJ would say. Mm. Yep. (laughs) But he actually. And I don't want to spoil it. But they didn't actually have any murders of pen on them. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> you know what? yeah it's crazy because he's killing in every different country and he's not he he's not leaving one. his semen everywhere he like was it, number one wanted on interpol though like they knew it was the guy the women found murdered in nepal that i talked about and the dutch couple were knocked unconscious doused with gasoline set on fire now to end this i'm gonna play just a little clip from the abc interview that they conducted with Charles Sabraj, and this will kind of give you some more insight on his MO. Like I said, this is not a one-part story. This cannot be done in one part, so I'm going to have to do a second part in the future. But I will end it here with this little interview clip. Is pick a person or a couple, drug them. Yes, that's correct. Take their passport Mm. and any valuables they might have and move on. Mm, That's correct. How many times do you think you did that? I did so many times as I've had. 20? 120? Maybe 100. And if you guys really like this story, let me know, and I'll try to put out the part two faster. But I was going to wait a little bit, so let me know what you guys think of this story. I'm pretty sure you have never heard of this guy before, even though he has killed a lot of people, and this story gets a lot crazier than what I've went into so far. Trust me on that. I'm going to have a hard time. A lot crazier. <laughs> like this is, I, like I scratched the surface with this. This gets literally ridiculous. 
I'll give you a couple of hints. One, statutes and limitations. Mm. I thought there was no statute of limitations on in America. America. Yeah. Number two. What? Yeah. Number two is all I'm going to say tonight. He signs a movie deal for $15 million. Uh, <laughs> I wish someone would write a movie about my life so that I could get paid. Holy shit. Shit. <laughs> He is the only serial killer to get well, rich. Apparently, you have to murder a hundred people or so. You don't know all of my so, secrets. He is just most of them. This is a crazy story, and the the movie deal and stuff like that. I'll get into the next time. This story gets really wild. Like I scratched the surface with this, <laughs> but it gets crazy. Oh. <laughs> anyway. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button or whatever podcasting app you use. If you like your story, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our serpent, go to talkmer.com slash join. Become a talkcast primo. Get a badass t-shirt, stickers, swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research and I'll dedicate it to you on the Talk Murder Me podcast. My name is John here with Jen and Nicole. And until next time. Au revoir.